Worf learns that he is jumping between dimensions. I guess quantum leaping might have gone too far, right? <laughs> quantum leaping. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except he doesn't have the cool. You don't get the cool. And then the flash. <laughs> Trek Companion. This is episode 108. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're going to be discussing Next Gen's seventh season episodes, Inheritance, Parallels, and The Pegasus. Here we go. Inheritance, season seven, episode 10, production number 262. Original air date, November 22nd, 1993. Directed by Robert Shearer. Story by Dan Koppel. Teleplay by Dan Koppel and Renee Echeverria. Music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Fianola Flanagan as Juliana O'Donnell, Sung Tainer, and William Lithgow as Pran Tainer. The Enterprise travels to the planet Artera in order to avert an impending natural disaster. Husband and wife scientists Pran and Juliana Tainer explain Artera's molten core is solidifying, a condition that will eventually render the planet uninhabitable. Data suggests reliquifying the core by injecting plasma directly into the planet's center, and Pran and Juliana agree to try. After the meeting, Juliana approaches Data with surprising news. She explains to him she was once married to Dr. Sung and is, in effect, his mother. I helped create you. And now, look at you. You were a colleague of Dr. Sung? Uh, I most certainly was. And I was also his wife. In a way, I suppose you could say, I am your mother. Inheritance. This episode shows once and for all that deep down all our mothers are robots. <laughs> <laughs> You're already getting uh, what it's about, I see. <laughs> just, just jumping the gun there, right? Uh, who wants to kick off uh, Inheritance? Steve? Uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, this is... <laughs> <laughs> now, I, uh, this is certainly memorable. I like, I, I like, uh, episodes that delve into the character's backstory, and, uh, in this case, it's character backstory that the character themselves isn't even aware, himself isn't even aware of, which is interesting, and, uh, um, I like the... Uh, you know, obviously, Brent Spiner's data is is so good. The, the character you want to know more about the character, you like to see that character put into new situations, and um, you know, dealing with this, where all of a sudden he, he, at least it seems that he has a mother figure in his life, and how to uh, the dynamics of that and so forth are interesting, and how the, the his friends and the crew react to that too is fun. So, I, I enjoy it. I like this episode. Mr. Caesar, um, yeah, I I remember this episode vividly. It's um, um, to me, it was kind of a unique way to introduce a mother. You know, we're all just as surprised as Data is. It's not um, um, you know, you're in that teaser, and then um, bam, you know, I'm in fact your mother. It's just kind of 
put on data. I like kind of how I like his reaction. It's very skeptical in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I kind of found that to be. Um, I, I like that. Um, just instead of him just you know jumping all in and you know kind of you know he has to do you know he's like well, he's, I, I, he's skeptical to the point of of almost being kind of uncaring unintentionally. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because he kind of kind of mean there. Yeah. He kind of at the end. Yeah. He's like, well, so, I have to um, investigate your story. I'll see you later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I kind of like that a little bit, you know, it's just a little bit of a twist, um, kind of adds to, um, you know, Data's um, um, multifaceted levels of, um, you know, this humanity. And I've always kind of, you know, we've talked about this before, not recently, but I've kind of always felt that Data does have a emotional sense. It's just much lower than the rest of us. Um, so I, I think he does feel these things. They're just not under the same degree as like a normal human being. Yeah, you know, he gets to that point. Kind of jumping to the end there, but he gets to that point, you know, that where he has to kind of decide. Because I'm thinking about this because you talked about, uh, as always, Data is, turns out to be a pretty emotional guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, him deciding whether or not to tell her that she's an android. Uh, in in deciding not to tell her, mm-hmm. that's that's the most the most empathetic choice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is an emotionally evolved choice uh, that he obviously should not be capable of if he really had no emotions. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, he takes her feelings into consideration and um, is kind of just trying to, you know, he's weighing, you know, what's best for her moving forward. So, I mean, yeah, there's a, there's an emotional degree there. Um <laughs> You know, you know today is- we're discussing inheritance parallels in the Pegasus. This is, uh, I, I think, all three of these episodes are excellent, um, and this is definitely the only time in season seven that we're going to have a podcast where every episode we just, well, I guess maybe since we'll probably end up doing it, I'll get things by itself. But yeah. mm-hmm. um, this is the only time you know that we're that for me it's like I'm gonna I love all three episodes um, because you know generally season seven is. Uh, considered a, a one of the weaker seasons, but <coughs> sorry, hold on. Sorry about that. Um, but these three episodes are kind of the epitome of what a good seventh season episode is for me. Mm. You know, and part of that too, I, I don't want to take away the guest stars' performances. So, Inheritance, you got Flanagan, uh, Pegasus. We're gonna have uh, Terry O'Quinn. These people are very good. Um, and so all three of these episodes are good right now we're talking about inheritance so I wanted to mention how much how much I really like um, Fionula Flanagan she's done a couple of Star Trek things but I think this is what this is the one I always remember the best for Um, because it's it's a lot to come in and be be mom immediately Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and and she does it and she also has this the the whole bit about her guilt and how she has this um guilt for not wanting to be created and then even after he was created she had this she wanted to leave him behind because she was worried he was going to turn out to be like like um lore and this guilt she has for leaving him behind mm-hmm. um it's it's a very good ex- explanation for why she never contacted him but it's also you know this chance for her to give this great performance that scene where she's practicing she and Data are practicing for the concert. 
it's an excellent scene. I don't know, that's probably my favorite scene in the episode. Um, but you know, it's so so it's got this great emotional through line. It's got really good performances. It's got stuff where we learn about, uh, you know, a lot more about our main character here, Data, and his backstory. It's also got some fun, like I don't know, mystery stuff because you can tell Data's thinking something. But I, I vaguely remember the first time I saw this episode and not knowing. Right. I, right. I didn't know what Data was seeing. You know. Now I know the episode, so those scenes I'm like watching for. I'm looking at her blinking, you know. <laughs> yeah. Great performance. Um, how do you do that, by the way? <laughs> they got to hire a session musician. So oh, this time you have to play it exactly the same and perfect. <laughs> um, but anyway, you know, so it's got that fun kind of mystery kind of stuff. The save the planet from whatever the magma or whatever. I don't know. You know, that's that's stuff we've kind of seen before, but it's it's at best a sea story, so I don't care. Well, yeah, it just moves the story along, you know, yeah. gives them something to work on. It's actually kind of, yeah, the, the core solidifying, it's actually a little more interesting. It's boring, boring interesting to me. It may not be that interesting to you guys, but yeah, it's like an actual thing that could happen, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we even get an appearance from uh, Soon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in a very believable way. So this episode kind of has it all for me. I've always really liked it. Um, listeners may recall that I'm only playing select episodes for my spouse um, for Next Gen. Uh, but this was definitely one that I wanted to play her. Because uh, it's always really... It it works for me. And, and at the end of the episode, you get that... It, it comes very organically to this point where Data has to make that choice. And it's... Right. I love that it's a given that it's Data's choice. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they 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 see him and her as this family unit. They respect him as a sentient being to make right. this choice, um, and it's not even a question. And I, I like that. Um, really, obviously, come a long way since earlier in the show. Yeah, it's kind of a nice scene there where they're just all kind of talking. It's more. It's not really even like you know. You know, you know, they all get together and talk about a mission and who's going to do this and do that. It's almost like they were sitting around the dinner table having a um, conversation as a family. You yeah, know, and they're you know, friends trying to help each other with this emotional right. thing. Yeah. Of course, we also get all like a ludicrous number of references to older episodes, mm-hmm. which I know Steve, you in particular, but Adam, you like them too. From, from lol to uh, the planet where he. Mm-hmm. Met his dad in that time. More Omicron Theta stuff and the crystalline entity, and the list goes on and on. Right. How yes. meaningless would this episode have been as like the second episode of the show? You're <laughs> <laughs> right. It, they, it, does Jordy say something in there? And I, I don't remember registering this in the past when I thought about this, but he makes a reference to that something like she ages in appearance like Data does, or something like that, implying that Data, too, is programmed to age in appearance to some extent. Did you guys catch that? It seemed like there was something in there, but clearly we know that is not the case with Data. Yeah, yeah. Even when we see him in All Good Things, he, like, purposely added gray or something so he would look older, you know. And I even remember Brent Spiner talking about when he killed off Data, spoiler alert, (laughs) in uh, Nemesis. Said, well, I can't play this role forever because mm-hmm. I'm aging and he doesn't, or something like that. Right. You know. So I think that maybe it's just a, it was just a poor wording. Um, yeah. 
on the yeah case. they kind of painted yeah they kind of painted themselves in a box with that that data doesn't age at yeah all. they probably would have been better off making the choice of just saying yeah he does age mm-hmm. somewhat well i never think about it until you put up a picture of like spiner as data in nemesis and spiner right. as data in the first season and you're like yeah. oh yeah. <laughs> I hate the same. Yeah, I need the same data. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I just I I really like this episode. I I really enjoy it. Um, I think it actually has something to say. So on that note, what's it about? Um, I would say it's about you know it's obviously about family and um, mother and son connecting and um, the only way um, androids can. Um, <laughs> by jumping off a cliff together. <laughs> um, for Dana, he, does, he does kind of grab her rather quickly, doesn't he? Okay, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, stop. Stop. He's screaming. Inheritance where Data pushes his mom off a cliff. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So he's, so what was that episode? What's that episode where you, you pushed your mom off the cliff? <laughs> <laughs> you just had enough. Yeah. I'd had enough of your violin playing. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, and I th- I think um I think specifically it's that it, it also it specifically addresses in that relationship those those kind of issues the complexity of separating what you want and what a loved one wants. And and in this case, you can kind of you can kind of draw a parallel with you know obviously we don't have um you know, our family where we have to decide whether or not to tell them they're mechanical or not, but we do have situations where we have to, you know, share how much, you know, say, say someone has an ailment, you know, some kind of illness or something like that, or, or there's clearly problems as someone ages or something like that. How much do you share? What's, what's the truth? What's the important thing to always be truthful or to, or to be compassionate when those things conflict, you know, I think it kind of addresses that. Um, you know, and there's yeah, Adam, I think I interrupted you. What were you going to say? About? I was going to say, you know, we learn a lot about data in this episode about who he, who he is today and who he was. Um, you know, you know, I think you briefly touched on it before, you know, we get to hear about his childhood, you know, that he was, mm-hmm. they had to program him to put clothes on and he didn't, he was kind of rude. What a weird <laughs> experience to be told you had this entire childhood that you do not remember. Yeah. Yeah. But, and they kind of never touch on it again, you know, but, you know, they hinted at it. Jordy hints at it with the with the chip, like, oh, there's a memories in there that, you know, your father wanted you to have. But they never kind of obviously they didn't go back to the chip again until the movies. But it would have been kind of interesting to see a little bit more about that. If the show progressed anymore. Actually, there's a little bit there at the tail where she's he says, maybe I'll come visit you. And she said like that. Obviously, that wasn't going to happen in the middle of seventh season. We're never going to do that. But right, um, I'm wondering, did they ever revisit her character in any of the books, Steve? You know the books better than us. Uh, it's been a long time since I've read any, but I have no recollection of her being yeah. mentioned. Certainly not as a you know featured character or something. You know what? The last time I asked this, we had multiple listeners respond. Listeners, did they ever revisit Juliana Tainer? Is that her last name, Tainer? I think so. Yeah. Did she ever show up in the books? Let me know. Um, be cool if she like, you know, because if you were like an android and you didn't know it, wouldn't you find yourself abnormally strong or fast or something? You know. I, well, I they hinted that she she's able to do those calculations very quickly. I guess nobody yeah. picks up on it. Yeah. 
Oh, but then the second she, if she got too good at it and then realized, hey, there's something weird, then she'd shut down. <laughs> right, right. So there's like right. limitations, you know. It's like yeah, a, okay. Uh, I do want to ask, what's your guys, because there's so many different scenes in this one. Do you guys have a favorite scene in this one? I mean, it sounds like I'm a bit more taken with this one than you guys are. That's fine. But uh, was there any scene that stuck out for you guys? Hmm. Um, I, you know, I liked how they jumped into the the episode, how they just kind of, you know, they surprised everybody there. I mean, obviously, if you see this episode for the first time, you you should be as equally surprised as Data is, to, to as surprised as Data is, can get. So um, I kind of liked how they jumped in this episode. Um, I do agree with you, but there's a lot of diff- different interactions between Data and his and Juliana or his mother that are very good. I enjoyed pretty much all their scenes together. Um, um, you know, obviously the most heartwarming one is there at, at the end. You know, I mean, when they talk about they want to visit and continue their relationship. I, I mean, I, th- I I agree. I think there's a lot of scenes between them that are so good. Uh, if I had to pick out something very distinctive, though, it would probably be what we already alluded to, the uh, um, the scene where Data has to discuss the choice with the other with the others on the mm. ship, his friends, because it's it's like like you guys already said, it's it's like we've advanced this point where it's almost like a you know it's more like a family discussion than it's any kind of ship business, you know. But they're tight and it's it's real and they you know it's very real. I enjoyed that. Cool. Well, I think we've taken care of this one. Let's move on to six degrees for inheritance. Adam, are you going first or second? Um, I'll go first. Fiona Flanagan plays Juliana Tainer, Data's long-lost mommy. In DS9's first season in the episode Dax, she plays Anina Tandro. Anina gets Jadzia off the legal hook by confirming that she had an affair with whom? She had an affair with um, her former host, Dax. Um... Mm. Now was it? Or did she have an affair with the leader? I don't know. <laughs> you can ask me. <laughs> you can have it, Steve. Wait. Well, you, you were on the right track. Why don't you make a guess? Um, it's her. Her former. Um, the former yeah, I Dax. I, I can't think. I, I need a name. I can't remember it right off the bat. It's been a long right. day. Steve? Is it Curzon? Yeah, correct. It's Curzon. Steve, in Enterprise's first season, Flanagan played Ambassador Valar in the episode Fallen Hero. What species was Valar? Hmm. I'm trying to remember. Um, that sounds Vulcan. I'll say Vulcan. You're correct. It was Vulcan. Yeah. Enterprise only had two episodes, I think, in the first season that I always loved. And, um, and one of them was Fallen Hero. Hmm. That's the one, yeah, where she's the uh, older Vulcan ambassador that T'Pol used to look up to or something there. Okay. You have to give her a ride. I always really liked that episode. Cool. The other one was, um, for the record, was uh, Dr. Doctor? Was that? No, that's not the name. Dear Doctor. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was season one. Anyway. Uh, okay. We'll uh, find out. Nothing. Yeah, we will. Moving on. 
Unparalleled, Season 7, Episode 11, Production Number 263, Original Air Date, November 29, 1993, Directed by Robert Weimer, Written by Brennan Braga, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Will Wheaton as Wesley Crusher and Patty Yasutaki as Alyssa Ogawa. Worf returns victorious from a battle competition and walks straight into a surprise birthday party when he boards the Enterprise. He begins to feel dizzy and disoriented and is confused when his cake seems to change from chocolate to yellow and an absent Picard seems to appear out of nowhere. After several more incidences, Worf learns that he is jumping between dimensions. I felt a wave of dizziness and when I looked up, you and Commander LaForge were on the opposite side of the room. Captain Picard was gone. I thought I had blacked out for a moment and had not observed your movements. And at my birthday party, the cake was chocolate, and then it was yellow. Parallels. You know, for the Brandon Braga scripts, I think this is kind of, this is the one to beat. You know, mm-hmm. it's got, the and, and it's, I mentioned that because it's interesting to note why I think it's the best one. When you think about, I don't know, cause and effect and those kind of episodes that Braga is best mm-hmm. known for. The difference here, what makes what makes those episodes good and this episode great, is this one has that one extra little bit, that emotional storyline between Riker, or excuse me, between uh, Worf and Troy. Mm-hmm. It's a couple of scenes, a couple of really good scenes. It gives the entire episode. It just it just kicks it up this extra notch, and um, I think that's what makes it go from from good to great. I've I've always enjoyed watching. This is one of those episodes we talk about where if you were flipping channels late at night and it was on, you would just watch it. Mm-hmm. Even if it was standard def and you have it on Blu-ray now, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you would, oh, parallels. I'll just sit. I'll just watch it for a couple minutes and then you'd watch it every time. You know? Um, yeah, Brian, I really enjoyed this episode too. I think kind of the uniqueness about it, it's a Wharf episode and it doesn't really have anything to do with the, you know, the Klingon homeworld or him fighting for his honor. And it's yeah. equally as interesting and entertaining as any one of those episodes and i think i i I like it's like i think it's one of my favorite wharf episodes because as much as i love all that other stuff it's great and it's stuff but this is this has nothing to do with it you just see Worf on his own you know having to deal with this you know (laughs) craziness if it weren't for the the uh wharf troy thing you probably could have done this episode with Almost any character, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, but it wouldn't have been as good because you needed that pairing. And you couldn't have just paired anybody else because you needed somebody. The fact that they weren't together and that they were pretty different, even though we've had hints about it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what what made it, it kind of work and it was different and it was unexpected. Um, but it, it also, more to the point, it gave them somewhere to go so that when he when he comes back to his own universe or whatever we're calling it, um, you know, what's the first thing he does? He sits down and has dinner with Troy. Mm-hmm. So even at the end of it, this episode has it has an effect on our characters. Mm-hmm. Our, sure. our characters, the ones in our universe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's really it's really a very like well-rounded episode, a little bit of everything for everybody. At the same time, it's not you couldn't out of context, you couldn't show it to someone who doesn't care about next gen at all because you've got to have the build up and know these characters to some extent, but if you do have the background, it kind of has everything. You know, it's got the, you know, the that kind of parallel dimension/time thing that's always fun. You've got character stories, you've got uh, there's funny stuff. Um, there's references to older episodes and like Wesley there, characters that aren't there anymore. You know, there's almost like in jokes and stuff and things like, you know, it, it's it's just uh, got, kind of got a little bit of everything, you know. You got a blue eyed data and a very ragged looking Riker, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> those uh, com badges from Future Imperfect. <laughs> uh huh. Mm-hmm. Are those, I think those are the same ones they use in All Good Things, or are they. No, I, I don't recall. I don't. I don't. I think that's something different. I think it's different. Those are different too. Okay. Yeah. Well, those are definitely the ones they had. Future yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe it's I'm thinking of um, the changes they make on the bridge for the mm-hmm. his the last universe he's in, the one he's in the most. I, I guess the one where he's the EXO. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the kind of the battle bridge. <clears throat> yeah, the, the, that horseshoe change. I think that's in all good things. Maybe. Um, yeah, I kind of like that scene where, not that it's a really good scene for Worf, you know, where he just wakes up and then, you know, bam, like he, he can't, he can't figure out how to put the shields up or anything like that. That's had to be a very traumatic experience for Worf, who's, <laughs> yeah. who prides himself on, you know, combat and duty and all that kind of thing. Well, of course, the funniest scene, I mean, the scene that all, we all will always will remember forever, you know, is the scene, is the scene where... Troy comes in and sits on the bed and wants him to come in there. The funniest part to me is when he peeks his head. Yes, yeah, yeah, for sure. It's such a like childish and I don't know, unworth thing. I don't know. It's yeah. it's it's so funny. And then um, of course <laughs> when she starts massaging him or whatever, the look right. on his face. You're it's right. <laughs> I I remember that from 20 years ago, making me laugh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, it starts off, you know, he's like a um, counselor, and she's like, well, okay, lieutenant. Lieutenant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's just as funny when you watch it a second time. Almost funnier. Yeah. yeah. I like the, uh, the universe that Wesley's in, and he comes up with a solution to a problem and data, you know, like... Uh, Good idea. And you know, I think they're kind of going for... It's like back when Wesley used to all solve all their problems. It's almost like yeah. a tongue-in-cheek thing, like, you know, right. here he is again and coming up with an idea. It's, it's <laughs> you know, even if it's not the intent, that's, I like to read that into it, you know. It's yeah, like, he outsmarts Data. Yeah. <laughs> data should be like, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> yeah, I love that it's, I love that it's, you know, there's no, there's not like a whole extra scene for what just for Wesley, just because they brought him back, you know. Yeah, I like that they, they, he does not have that. Mm-hmm. There's no explanation for it. He's almost like a. It just makes almost sense. Almost like any other kind of crew member that's on there. Right. Well, if there were all these, if if you're going to have a universe for every potential possibility, it makes right. sense. How about uh, the little tiny shiny blanket on uh, Jordy's? <laughs> <laughs> that's in a different universe. Like the first one, it wasn't in a bigger blanket, and then it's a smaller blanket. Right. Well, that's what he says in the commentary, kind of like what Brandon Braga said in the commentary. He thought the blanket changed side sizes well, in the second. Uh, my my wife mentioned that to me. She said, "Oh, wow, the blanket's a lot smaller now." <laughs> like, oh, how you're paying attention over there because I wasn't. Thank you. <laughs> it, it get obnoxious if like he shifted like two or three times and it just keeps shrinking. You know, it's like is anyone noticing? You know. 
<laughs> a little handkerchief by the end or something. Yeah. Of course, um, you know, not directly related to this episode, but indirectly related. Um, I always remember that when, um, you know, the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek film came out and, you know, as we've talked many times, a couple of some of us had a hard time with this concept of, you know, Vulcan is destroyed and, you know, this mm-hmm. different line. Um, this was the episode that Ortsy referenced mm-hmm. when he said, nope, there's just lots of different timelines. Yeah. You know, there's all these different universes. Um, and it is true, this episode, this episode, it's not, this episode isn't like about time travel, but. Right. Dimensions. Yeah, but, you know, anytime we've seen stuff, for the most part, Star Trek has said there was one timeline. I mean, that's why we had a hard time with the movie. But it's true to say this this episode, you know, acknowledges that that scientific theory that says anything that can happen does. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and we got that a little bit in, like, the original series in, in the Mirror Universe episodes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, so when I watch this episode, Parallels, when I watch Parallels now, it makes me think of the 2000... Uh, Nine Star Trek in a way, mm-hmm. yeah. right. but that's neither here nor there. One thing I was kind of surprised about in this episode is that you still get a trophy even though you're ninth place in a Klingon. Yeah, and they're pretty cool looking too. I mean, yeah. how far up do they go? When do you start getting ribbons? Thirty fifth yeah. place or something? <laughs> Everybody maybe, gets a trophy. Maybe maybe you get something just for not dying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh well, actually, it's a Klingon thing. Maybe you probably get a much bigger trophy if you die. Right, yeah, right. There you go. <laughs> um, I found it very sad uh, when the chocolate cake becomes vanilla cake. Mm, indeed. Yeah. And I would have had a hard time getting over that. If it was me. <laughs> but like, where the hell did this come from? <laughs> Brian would have figured it out right then and there. <laughs> Get out! <laughs> Someday when you're having a birthday and <laughs> just out of nowhere start going on about the cake. It's like, this cake was chocolate. Everyone's out of the house. Someone's been shifting me around or something. That actually, that's one thing that's, that's almost funny in this episode. It's like... <coughs> Sorry, hold on. Sorry, I'm, I'm muting my calls, folks. Um, what kind of screwed up world do you live in where... Where, you know, you're just used to this kind of stuff, right? Your husband is like, yeah. I don't remember the last three years. Oh, that sucks. We'll figure it out together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's some kind of a weird quantum cellular whatever. Oh, that old yarn. Sure, okay, well, we'll, we'll work it out, you know. Uh, but, you know, I make jokes, folks, but uh, it's the Troy Wharf stuff that... that like I said, it's what elevates this episode for me. I would have liked it without it, but it, it makes it go from good to great. And, yeah. it, and, it, and it's so poignant, uh, really, because then when you know she, how upset she is when she realizes this is really happening in that universe, the kind of final universe he's in, and realizing you know there's universes where they're not together and they don't have children and they don't have a life, and and you know. I, not to jump the gun here about moving to what it's about, but we can relate to this because 
we all think of things like what little choices could we have made or little things that have gone differently to, to make our lives so different than what they are now. And it creates this appreciation in a way of what you, what you do have, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, let's do that. Let's, let's, you know, let's talk about what it's about. Yeah. I think I'm, um, Stephen hits on something there. It's like, you know, every choice you make leads to a different, different things so if you you go you know there's definitely all all three of us and the listeners out there we can point to at least several events in our lives where if we went this way or that way you know it's it's very clear that your life would be far different like you know for you brian if you would have never moved to la when you made that decision that was a life-altering event that changed your life forever so those are easy to those are easy things to see um how your life changed, but it's it's a little bit harder with the more mundane stuff. Like you know, hey, if I'm ten minutes late for work, you know, how that works, how the little things work out, how that changes your life. And I yeah, and I think I think it's it's this notion of possibilities and you know taking taking advantage of opportunities in a way too, because I think it, I think it goes beyond just the notion of every little thing can make every little thing different. Uh, you know, he chooses to have dinner with Troy at the end. And we all know Trek history to know, well, they never really became anything big, but, the, you know, they had a, a relationship here in the seventh season. But, you know, it's kind of like he saw this possibility of something, you know, something oh. like a real relationship, you know, a chance at something meaningful. And he said, well, you know, I'm going to I'm going to do something here about it. You know, it's a little bit of like taking risks, yeah. willing to make a leap of faith and things like that. Uh, side note, we also get some awesome effects in this episode, gotta say. Those neon streamers at the birthday party? Neon streamers <laughs> at the birthday party. Mm. Mm-hmm. High def. Uh, yeah, actually, I did notice those. I never, Honestly, I don't remember that before, but I, I don't sure either. I noticed yeah. them in the, on the Blu-ray. Um, also, the 100-plus Enterprises or whatever, I always <laughs> remembered that yeah. at that moment. It's, and it's not just seeing them, it's like seeing them like appear and appear and appear. Uh-huh. And definitely... One of the all-time funniest lines. We're receiving 285,000 hails. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me laugh out loud. Oh, I always remember the 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 Riker with the beard, like the, the crazy, nomad Riker. Yeah, and the, yeah. Borg yeah the crazy Riker. Conquered, yeah, the Borg conquered universe. Like that. Mm-hmm. That that's legitimately. It's a very quick little thing, easy to forget. But I always thought that was terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like really terrifying. Because that what? that Riker was bananas yeah. yeah yeah well i mean they they went all out with the long the beard you know he looked like yeah he, he just came yeah from like wild. unabomber looking riker there you know <laughs> and there's a wharf in the background too back there. Around, he's like how did i get this there you know and he's probably like flipping you know <laughs> so uh really really good i'm really just a good episode like you said it's got it's kind of got everything um and uh, by the standards of our show, it holds up probably more than any other reason because it's got these emotional through lines and these, you know, again, we take it for granted, but great performances, mm-hmm. especially Marina. She's she's so good. She just has to have this like subtle little emotional melancholy about her and she and she does. And it's she's so good. She's really good. Mm-hmm. I'm glad they gave, you know, got something to do here. Uh, okay, 
So, very good episode that I will definitely be watching forever and ever. And uh, let's move on to... Six Degrees for Parallels. Um, Steve, you've got two. Are you going first or second? I'll go first. Mark Bramhall plays Gull Nador, the Cardassian Gull that takes a keen interest in the Argus Array. In which Trek feature did he did he play a Vulcan elder that takes refuge with Sarek in a cave? In what Trek feature? Yes, sir. I guess it'd be uh, the 2009 Star Trek? Yes, that's correct. I guess I made that question too easy, didn't I? Uh, Adam, <laughs> I, I like you know saying so much in the title. Uh, Adam... Worf's command red uniform makes its first appearance in this episode. Sorry, nobody. I couldn't do any more. <laughs> uh, name the DS9 episode where we'll see it next. DS9 episode where we'll see it next. Um, Hint, it's his first appearance on DS9. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember the name of the episode. Steve? Uh, the Way of the Warrior? You're correct. It was the Way of the Warrior. If I recall correctly, it was right at the right. It's at the end of the episode when he changes divisions, right? Right, yeah. but you know, yeah. but but strictly speaking, is it not the uh, different opposite color uniform? You know, the red on top. Oh, where it flips red on top, and are you? Yeah, are you sure? Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, yeah. So that was. Hmm. hmm. What are we gonna do yeah. now? Hmm. I so I, I yeah. should just re- I should just reword it and say name the DS9 episode where the intent was fine in command red in sure, command sure. his command uniform yeah all right so for nothing moving on the Pegasus season seven episode twelve production number two sixty four original air date January tenth nineteen ninety four directed by Lavar Burton written by Ronald D Moore music composed by John Debney. Guest cast include Terry O'Quinn as Admiral Eric Pressman, Nancy Vauter as Admiral Margaret Blackwell, and Michael Mack as Cyril. Picard and Riker are joined by Admiral Pressman, who was Riker's first commanding officer for a secret assignment. Riker is shocked to hear that debris from their ship, the USS Pegasus, which was lost with most of its crew 12 years ago, has been located in the Devlon system by the Romulans. Pressman explains that the Federation must find it first to prevent sensitive technologies from falling into the wrong hands. Riker's shock turns out to be more than just a prize when we learn a dark secret he has been keeping all these years. Further investigation is recommended. Will, there was no further investigation. This report was classified and then it was quietly buried. Why? Sir, may I suggest you take this up with Admiral? I'm taking this up with you, Will! The judge advocate thought that you were participating in a conspiracy to cover up the truth. Mr. Caesar, I don't believe you've kicked us off today. Um, for the Pegasus. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed this episode. It's, it was memorable. Um, back when I first saw it, um, still remember. I have, I've, I, I actually have not seen it since um, the Enterprise episode. We might get into that. We don't have to, but. Um, I do remember this episode. I remember it being very enjoyable back then. I still enjoyed it, watching it last night. Um, you get to kind of see, you know, when you when we we've, we've seen Riker these seven years, and we kind of think of him as the the all American, mm-hmm. 
um, first officer. He doesn't have any smudge on him or dirt or anything like that. Yes, he can be kind of um, in your face and, you know, he's not perfect by any means. But, you know, we learned in this episode that um, he has that a he does real... a really good Picard impersonation. This is true. <laughs> um, yeah, we learned in this episode he, he can be funny. and <laughs> um, But, yeah, we learned that he's got a, a dark secret here and that's something that he's ashamed of maybe or that he definitely regrets and um it's you know and we see the conflict throughout the episode um obviously my favorite scene in the in this episode is between him and Picard when Picard presses him presses him on all the events that happened on the Pegasus um um I forget the name of the guy who plays Pressman but he does a great job I mean he's been around for quite a while he's a great character Terry O'Quinn, um, he does a great job being a smug, um, arrogant, egotistical, you know, person that we sometimes see in Starfleet, who just thinks that he his way is the best way and the only way, and it's under the guise of protecting the Federation. Well, ha- half of the Admiralty, apparently, in the 24th century is like that, at least. Right, yeah, much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to say, this, this episode uh, maintains Steve's all admirals are crazy rule. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah, we'll see this in Deep Space Nine, we'll, you know, obviously, and yeah, admirals are kind of nutty. Um. You know the resolution of the the episode I thought was good. It's uh, kind of a cool, it's a cool cat and mouse game. You know them trying to find the Pegasus between the Romulan ship. I really enjoyed the Romulan commander in this episode. I don't know why he was just just the right amount of smug and arrogant too, but not mm-hmm. and and charming too. He, was, he had a little uh, bit of charm to him that you don't quite often. see. He was a writing intern on the show that that actually always wanted to be an actor and only started writing as a way to try and get into Hollywood. Hmm. So, yeah, he he was a writing intern. Well, he did a good job as a Romulan. The first yeah, the, black Romulan, actually. Yeah, not really the first. Mm-hmm. There was a nice, um, yeah, they had a nice little dialogue between him and Picard. Yeah, that you talked about that scene um, between uh, Picard and, and Riker uh, where he talks about, you know, Picard's like, mutiny on a Starfleet vessel? That That scene... Even the scene is like I think it's lit darker than they would normally have. Mm-hmm. I guess because he's having dinner or something. But just that that whole scene is it's a fantastic scene and it's very un I don't know it's it's very different from what we would normally see on Next Gen. I think yeah. in general it's different, but then in, in in a specific way it's certainly different from anything we've seen between those two characters. Um, For sure. It's it's really. It's interesting, you know, and it's and it's it's they're obviously both good performers. Uh, Riker doesn't get to do a lot other than than stand there and t- take it, um, but yeah, it's it's very good, and and it keeps you wondering like, what the devil could it be, you know? What are they, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that's and that that scene is, you know, early-ish in the episode, um, but you know, right from the get-go, you see. Uh, uh, when Pressman comes on the ship, Riker's obviously taken aback. Um, so much of the the quality of this episode, for me, are the performances. Again, definitely Terry O'Quinn. Is, yeah, I mean he's 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 obviously fantastic. Um, 
I wish we could have seen him play against Picard a little bit more, mm-hmm. um, just for those two, because um, we don't get to see them do a lot. But uh, yeah, it's just a it's a it's a great Ron Moore politics kind of episode. Mm-hmm. You know, it reminded me a little bit of like you know in the pale moonlight and those kind of episodes where we see these not just the crazy admirals who you can forgive just cuz obviously they're crazy mm-hmm. uh being anti starfleet but our our series regulars mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. but you know when you think about it it certainly makes sense that Riker would have done what he did when he did it you yeah. know right. he wasn't he wasn't thinking is this the right thing to do or should we be doing this? He wasn't thinking about these sorts of things. He was just like, my captain says, do this. I'm doing that. That's the right thing to do. You know, and it's, it's a neat kind of evolution for his character. And, um, obviously we get the fun the stuff we talk about that we like, you know, the history, um, a lot of cool effects in this episode. I, I've always thought it was cool seeing that ship, like, you know, half in the rock or seeing right. the enterprise mm-hmm. go into the, the asteroid and it's kind of like lit by its own light. Yeah, which is weird. Yeah, like it's that. really neat looking. To see it cloak. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, tri- um, trivia: We get the answer for why the Federation doesn't use Starfleet doesn't yeah. use cloaks, which never knew that. You know, it always did seem like a well, why not kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we learned about that treaty. What were you gonna say, Adam? I was going to say, can you guys think of any other time when um, Picard ripped into somebody that much in that scene that he did under Riker? I don't know. I mean, you know, one of his crew. I mean, a one of his regular, crew. yeah. It's, that's pretty rare, yeah. Well, I remember when um, uh, Cisco ripped into Worf. Yeah. Uh, after he had destroyed that. Klingon transport vessel or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I guess Picard does kind of rip into Worf in um, first contact, but he wasn't quite in his right mind. Yeah. And that's what that's what's so interesting too with Picard. And I'm not saying that's exclusive to Picard amongst the Starfleet captains, but it's I don't I, I would I would think maybe Picard might be the most. Um, consistently ethical, you know. I mean, in terms of this episode, just kind of shows that off you know the, you know it's not he's not going to play politics he's just not going to do it you know i mean if there's there's you'd think that there's this confidentiality thing and there's stuff that's in you know top secret and all this stuff too but he senses nonsense you know he senses when some's you know there's someone's trying to pull something over and it's a detriment in some in some respect or another it's a detriment to the truth and something that needs to come out and He's just not going to put up with it, you know. And yeah, you're right because it's it's like immediate. There's no yeah. conversation. Right. right. He's not going to entertain yeah. the notion of well, you know, maybe it's best to leave this alone. Oh, it's you know, if it's confidential for a reason or something like that. Now, you know, in a way, it's amazing he got to where he is <laughs> as a captain yeah. of the ship without the willingness to play politics at all. You know. Yeah. Well, not just a captain of any ship. Right. Too, right. This ship. Yeah. Flagship. Flagship. But uh, he does flat out tell Riker, "Okay, I understand the." The guy that outranks me is telling you you can't say anything to me. Mm-hmm. But just know that if I find out that you're sacrificing, you know, the safety of this vessel, I will fire you. Is yes. what he says. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He says it 
in not so nice terms, but it's factual and it's immediate. Mm-hmm. Right. But it is kind of crazy thinking about, well, just just like, you know, uh, as Picard is, is surprised about it, you know, uh, mutiny on a Starfleet vessel. It's kind of nutty. Mm-hmm. Um, creepy to go onto that ship and see these people that have been there. Yeah. yeah. Preserved for, whatever was it, 12 years or something? Right. Is the vacuum of space? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about this concept of, you know, so obviously they signed a treaty that said we won't develop cloaking technology um, as uh, some form of, as a balance of power, even when the other groups have it. But, you know, it's obviously some sort of extension of like this Gene Roddenberry philosophy of the, I don't know, I hate to use that word, but almost like superiority of of the Federation, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was always something they kind of had, you know, obviously they danced around it quite a bit in Deep Space Nine, you know, they had to, like, get a cloak on loan, you know? Right. <laughs> Just kind of, it kind of, I don't know, maybe, I think in Deep Space, Deep Space Nine in that situation, they kind of took it a little bit too far. It's kind of like, okay, we're, we're all at war with the Dominion, let's just, you can have cloaks. <laughs> let's just re-ratify this treaty and, promise we won't use them against each other they're cloaks but um i i I am sorry but i do have to make one kind of minor complaint kind of the same complaint that we always have it takes away a little bit of the power of this episode that we see Riker in the brig of course and then never hear about this again Mm -hmm. really ever yeah as far as the fallout from this you know that's a that's par for the course on on next gen but i'm gonna say it anyway Hey, we did. Hey, we did get a little bit like how you can exceed warp speed mm-hmm. for this one time <laughs> until the next time that we don't mention it, and then it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> I love. You know, it's a, it's a it's a little throwaway scene, but that scene when he go, he's in sick bay, kind of near the beginning. You know, it's it's so telegraphs the whole episode, yeah, right? Yeah. He, he talks about how uh, I knew what I should have done with the batlith, and I. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, and now I, I, I failed, and and then Crusher says, "Oh, you'll do better next time." You know, I mean, that's maybe that's kind of what he's. Yeah, yeah, he says, right? Yeah, you know, that's, that's kind of just foreshadowed the whole episode in a nice, quick little way. You know, in a scene that we've seen a million times, but here it has a very different meaning. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we don't often see Riker so um, troubled, right? Um, so uh, I've uh, this is an episode that I've always really loved, and I know why I love it. I know I love it because ultimately the whole Starfleet ethos and you know coming to terms with um, a sense of of duty and honor uh, when that conflicts with what you believe is right. I like those kinds of things. I like this idea of the perfect um, Starfleet Boy Scout, right? Um, coming to terms with this mistake, I, I like this. This the the, the politics of it. Um, this is one I chose to play for my spouse, and um, I think much like um, 
Pale Moonlight, she didn't get it. And she did not understand why <laughs> I liked it so much at all. You know, and, and I'm not saying that to say she's wrong. I don't mean that at all. I'm just, I'm pointing out how, you know, it would, it's, it's interesting to me to be, to be reminded of, a lot of the times I think of, of stuff I like is objectively good. <laughs> you know, in this instance, it's like, well, I think you can make the argument objectively that, that uh, Terry O'Quinn is a good actor, you know, and that the performances are good and, you know, and stuff like that. But some of this is just what I like. And I do like, I do like this, the Starfleet politics stuff. Mm-hmm. I really do, you know? Um, so do you guys think this episode is good? Do you think this would be good to, do you think this works outside of Star Trek? I do. I mean, actually, out of the three, this is the one I played for my spouse. Um, you know, even though I agree that all three were great, um, I do. I do agree that it's there's a lot of if you appreciate Trek and kind of the the big picture, what it's trying to say and what the Federation's about and all that. That there's a lot of that in here. But I think it it also, you know, if you center on Riker, who's the you know the the central character of our bunch, you know, that the, in this episode, you know, it's this idea that you know, you, you can, you can feel like you're right. And maybe in some way it's, you know, morals are complicated. Ethics are complicated. You know, there's just different stances and and you can, you can feel you're right. You can even be right at different points in your life. And you're, you know, who can tell you that you actually made a wrong choice, but you know, you go back and the person who you are now, uh, you wouldn't make necessarily make that choice that, you know, in that, in that way anymore. You know, it's this, it's, it's, it's about that, it's about what the Federation's about and ethics and all this stuff, but it's also about who who we are and how we change as individuals and you know evolve and mature and so forth. Uh, you know, I wonder if if it, it would be hard to to regret your decision, like in Riker's case, mm-hmm. because the truth is he'd he'd probably be dead. Yeah, yeah. If right. he had sided with against, if he had done then what he feels he should do now. Mm-hmm. He would probably have died alongside everyone else on that ship. Yep. You know? So it's weird. And little did we know, he was on the holodeck the whole time <laughs> trying to figure this out. <laughs> yeah, he was in the other room looking at Scott Bakula. <laughs> uh, well, um, I think it sounds like we've covered, kind of covered uh, what it's about. And, um, unless, Adam, you wanted to add to that? No, no, I think um, Steve. All right. So uh, for me, a, a good episode that 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 really holds up, um, and I enjoy watching very much. All right, and it looked good in HD, didn't it? Mm. Uh, yes. It's so great. It's so wonderful. I'm, I feel every every time I, I I feel so good that we got the entire series completed this way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm I'm starting to slightly get over my sadness for not getting DS9 and, and Voyager and appreciate what I have. So <laughs> I'm growing up a little bit. All right. Moving on to six degrees for the Pegasus. Uh, Steve has four. Four. To yeah. Zero. All right. Adam, you're going first yeah. this time. Sure. Michael Mack plays the Romulan, or yeah, uh, Commander Cyril, the other guy looking for that old starship. Mack also played Ensign Hayes in a movie, in which Trek feature did Hayes watch Data sing at the op station on the bridge. Sing at the op station on the bridge. That would have been. Data was uh, singing on the bridge. In which movie? Would that have been? Um, 
Nemesis? No. Steve? Generations? You're correct. It was Generations. Steve, I don't think in all the years we've been doing this show, anyone has gotten six. No pressure. No so pressure. So this is your chance to do the unthinkable. The record. Mm. Name the Enterprise finale that takes place at the same time as this episode. <laughs> These are the voyages. You are correct. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Show us the FX contributed uh, <laughs> confetti. <laughs> the confetti with the FX on it. Um, yeah, wow. Six, look at that. Son of a gun. All right. Hmm. Um, I watched uh, Star Trek... The motion picture, because I've been, I haven't mentioned on the show, but you know, there was a book recently. Did you guys see this? Uh, of course, you know, I can't remember what it's called. I'm, I'm halfway through it. A book just came out uh, detailing the production of the first movie. Hmm. No, I'm, I don't know about that. And it's, oh. it's fascinating. Basically, this guy, gosh dang it, now I feel it's up in the other room where I'd go grab it so I could tell you the name. Um, uh, what's it called? Ah, he was a magazine writer in the late 70s, and he was supposed to be a big two issue of. Cinefantastique or whatever the you mm. know one of one of the big movie magazines before the internet when we got our movie news that way it was going to be like a two issue thing so he spent months and months interviewing everybody involved um, he had like sixty hours of recordings and uh, spent a long time writing it and then they ended up dropping it and they never released the magazines. Um, and then he put it all into book form in the late 90s, and it was so, so that it could be published. And then at the last second, it didn't get published. Hmm. So all these years later, just now on the 35th anniversary, so it came out in, in December, they finally released it. You know, And it's, it's awesome. It's really, really fascinating. And I've never really cared for the first movie. Um, but uh, reading it has made me, made me want to go back and watch the movie. Um, so I did that, and I played it for my... My three-year-old, three and a half years old, because I thought it was probably the only movie that I might feel comfortable letting him see mm -hmm. right now until he's older. Um, he actually sat through it. Uh, so anyway, it was an interesting experience to watch it with all this information about its production. Um, the, I liked the first half of it more. I really did. And then I started falling asleep again in the last half. And it was <laughs> just an hour going through a tunnel. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's never going to change, but I don't know. I have a new, newfound respect for the first movie. Maybe one of these days we'll talk about the movies on our podcast. And I'm a jerk for not remembering the name of this book. I will get on that. The, yeah, I'll put it. I'll put it in the show notes, folks. Um, also, very quickly, um, not to be a downer, but you know, and I've, I've mentioned this sort of thing before, and I'm going to continue to do so. Uh, there was a podcaster whom I've, I mean, he was an occasional podcaster that I've listened to for years named Andrew Yoon. He podcasted about video games. He passed away suddenly last week in Austin and it was very sad. And it was one of the things that just made me think about, you know, it's a guy that I don't know, but I feel like I do. I could tell you all his favorite movies and video games and stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so it was just one of the, one of those times when I thought, you know, it's important to say, that uh, I really appreciate that we get to do this every couple of weeks, and we've been doing it for years, and you guys continue to do it. Uh, not that we don't we don't make any money off it, obviously. It's it's for fun, and uh, I appreciate it, and I love you guys, and I appreciate all our listeners. And uh, you know, 
remind somebody that you're close to that you love them because you never know. Mm. So we are getting so close to the end of season seven. We've only got a couple more months, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I think so I've kind of. What are we ahead. starting? Um, Enterprise? Yeah. So I figured might as well just say it because I think we kind of hinted around about it recently and maybe didn't quite say it. But our plan is to um, move into Enterprise when we finish next gen. And then from Enterprise, we can go into the original series. And we're going to continue with our three episodes per podcast thing. It's very comfortable for us. But what's going to make that cool is we should be hitting the original series right around the 50th anniversary. Mm -hmm. So that would be cool and that would be fun. Uh, And that's our kind of plan as of right now. Um, Also going to be a chance for us to watch our Enterprise and original series Blu rays. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because I think I I, I haven't watched the Enterprise ones at all. I watched like one episode maybe. And then the original series, I think I just, you know, just watched my favorites. I never sit down and watch them all. Um, Yeah, I mean, for Enterprise will be fun because a lot of those I've just seen once. I've only yeah, watched Enterprise. Me once too, once or twice. Yeah, yeah twice. Okay. I watched them all once when they first aired, and then I watched them when the D- when the DVDs came out. Right, right. And that's pretty much it. Well, there's there's going to be episodes I haven't seen. I I have not seen wow. the, Borg, the Borg episode in Enterprise. I know I haven't. You'll be like me on that one next gen episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure there's probably a few more in there. Cool. That'll be fun. But I'll have to buy them. So that's why I was asking, when are we going to start this? <laughs> I got to pick up Enterprise. Yeah, well, you got a couple months. I mean, I think they're in there. Those are in HD on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't, uh, I don't know them at all. Yeah, okay. Hopefully, we don't lose any listeners because I know it's it's like the least popular show. But I, um, I think that even if you don't like it, you should continue to listen to our show because we will no doubt present. Uh, new viewpoint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. So thank you folks for spending an hour with us and uh, we'll be back in two weeks for the next three episodes. Uh, until then. Oh, sorry. One last thing I do want to say, I want to start saying this because now that we have over a hundred episodes, um, you know, iTunes doesn't um, list more than a um, hundred episodes. Uh, so I wanted to start saying the website where you can get the archive. So if you want to listen to something more than 100 episodes back and it's not showing up on iTunes, you can go to trekcompanion.podbean.com. Trekcompanion.podbean.com. Podbean. Uh, and that, of course, has the archives, you know, all the way back to the first episode. You should so anyway, that, Brian. say again. You should tweet that. Yes, I should. You're, you're right. <laughs> um, so thanks again for spending an hour with us. Until next time, take it easy. Bye. See you. I passed it.